All right. Hey, good morning, New Life Church. Welcome this morning uh, to our service. I want to go ahead and draw your attention where we're going to be hanging out in Scripture today. Our main text is in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 1 and Nehemiah 3, and then we're going to bounce around a little bit in the New Testament following that as we plan to wrap up this series that we've been on called Let's Do Work. And uh, it's very fitting as we come to a close in this, in this particular series what today's text has to say, particularly with our current uh, situation in our, in our world and in our country and how it's affecting so many different people. It really has, you would think, well, I think the Lord has something he wants to say. So that's always encouraging. Before we get into that, I just want to share with you a short text message I received early this morning from one of my former um, Bible college professors. Uh, he sent me this. He said, we're standing in the gap and covering you with the blood of Jesus by praying the hedge of protection around you, your family, and your church, and your ministries, that no evil shall come near you because you make the Lord your dwelling place. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. This plague will not touch you because the blood is upon the doorpost of your heart and faith, and the angel of death cannot come in. And all of our love and appreciation to you and your church. It's nice to get uh, re- encouragement uh, out from the outside of, of, of your realm, so to speak. It uh, just goes to show you that the body of Christ is not being divided. That the body of Christ is actually being strengthened in unity. And uh, unity is, is something we have to uh, fight for. And we have to make precedent in. And so, as Pastor Lindsay prayed that prayer... Uh, may we may we can remember that that we have to re- hold true to that, and so. Uh, but anyway, we want to we want to carry on with this word today out of Nehemiah in this series called "Let's Do Work." Uh, I want to show you um, a picture that we've kind of been using a graphic over the last uh, five weeks of this series that shows an outline of of um, Jerusalem at the time. And what we've been doing, we've been going around this particular, the wall of Jerusalem and, and looking at each one of those different gates. Uh, there's 10 that are listed here in Nehemiah chapter 3. And, um, and I've asked that we kind of look at this picture as a kind of a type and shadow of our own life. And as a church, that the walls would, re- would represent the outline of our life. The temple in the middle would represent our faith in Christ. And then those different gates uh, would represent different spiritual action points and how each one of those action points uh, have a particular meaning and a particular purpose. It's not just for historical content or historical context, but it has a spiritual implication. And we've, we've traveled around from the top left corner at the Sheep Gate uh, representing salvation in Christ. Fish Gate talking about our mission to uh, spread the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you turn the turn the corner there to the old gate, established godly, truthful ways in our life. That that has to be a upfront thing in every believer's life that carries us onward and through the valley gate. Different types of valley experiences from trials, tribulations, issues. Nowadays, to this instance right now with this virus, it's a trial that we're going through right now. And then you turn the corner to the dung gate where the Lord uses valley-type experiences to rid our life of things that, hey, we just don't need to hang on to. Stuff we just don't really need to put faith in. 
We don't need to have old habits in, that those things can die off and, 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 and be exited from our life and have greater dependency on the Lord. And then you turn the corner, and you've got the fountain gate and the water gate, which one of our elders last week uh, preached on, Brandon Bailey. I uh, thought he did a fantastic job on that. I listened to it this week. Uh, I told him I thought he did better than I did in most cases. And so I uh, appreciate good teaching like him that he brings out of the fountain gates, the power and the life flow of the Holy Spirit in our life with the water gate is the, is the, um, the, the word of God being established in our life, being the guidance and the light to our path and to our feet and that we put our trust in. And then today, uh, we're, we're going to wrap up with those final three, the horse gate, the east gate, and the inspection gate. And we're going to look at what these different things mean. And each gate, again, has a meaning, has a purpose. It's really, in our day and time, it's the expression of Christ Jesus in and through our life, in and through our family, in and through our church. And so it's vital, it's imperative as believers. We hold a measure of responsibility to pay attention to these gates, to these spiritual action points, and to reassess them and to commit our life to repair them and restore them and to do the work that's necessary as Christians in, our, in this faith to make sure these gates are strong, to make sure these spiritual action points are active and alive in each and every single one of our lives, in our households, and certainly through us as a church. Uh, Nehemiah 1, verse 3, uh, he got the word. He said, folks came and told him, things aren't going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble. They're in great dis uh, disgrace. He said, the wall of Jerusalem was torn down. The gates were destroyed by fire. And so Nehemiah assesses the situation, and he says, it's time to get to work. We've got to rebuild, we've got to restore, we've got to repair because these things are vital, these things are important, and the same work that they did then has meaning for us today. We need to take note of that. And then in chapter 3, the latter part of that down in verse 28, it references these three gates. In verse 28, it says there was the horse gate that the priest repaired, and each one repaired the section immediately across from their house. And then next, Zadok, they also rebuilt the, uh, rebuilt the wall across from his own house. And beyond him was Shemaiah and the gatekeeper of the east gate. Then on down in verse 31, it says there were some goldsmiths who repaired the wall as far as the housing for the temple servants and the merchants across from the inspection gate. And they carried on around to the end of that corner to, to complete that uh, wall that was there. And so... I reference those in, in this particular story. That entire chapter, chapter 3, highlights all of it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for everybody who's here. And I thank you for those who will listen to this message online later. And I pray that you would use this time to speak to us. We know you, want some, you have something to say. And Lord, our lives need to hear it. And so I pray that you would just help me to deliver your word to your people that would bring you honor and that would help all of us in our faith and our growth and our maturity and our, our following hard after Jesus in this life. We honor you and we thank you now in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. I've titled today's message, The Finishing Point, as we wrap this up. Uh, we started out with the spirit of Nehemiah, five weeks ago when we started this series, uh, it's 
crazy that five weeks ago we start this series about the spirit of Nehemiah, the character that he had, the, the, the heart he had to, to, to build, the heart he had to repair, the heart he had to commit himself to with different distractions, uh, different types of resistance that would come his way, and he had to see it through, and we talked about that, that now five weeks later, how it's imperative that we not forget. So I would encourage you, if you have some time, make some time to go back to that first message and maybe hear that again. And then, of course, as we wrap it up today, we talk about the horse gate, the east gate, and the inspection gate and what it all means for us here today. Uh, uh, The trail I've chosen to take is to share practical, personal, and prophetic aspects about each one of these and then summarize them all together. So the horse gate, the practical aspect of this is simple. It was where the men would just literally ride their horses out of this gate. That's what they did at that particular gate. Personally, it speaks of spiritual warfare as horses were used in battle and they became a symbol of war. Prophetically, it speaks to the church over time as it has been in one battle after another with the different rise of cults, with biblical criticism, modernism, postmodernism, liberalism, humanism, all other kinds of isms, etc., and apostasy and all that have come against the truth of God's word. The East Gate, the practical aspect is that it literally opens to the east and it faces the Mount of Olives. Personally, it speaks to show us where we are to, that we are to live with hope and a longing for the return of Jesus Christ. Prophetically, it does. It speaks to the return of Christ, the resurrected Savior of the world. All the different things that have been sung, the things that have been prayed, the exhortations that have gone out this morning, all a reminder that Jesus is on the throne. He's not, he's not crying. He's not scared. He's not whimpering. He's not complaining. He is standing in the gap in intercession for us, and he will one day return, okay? And that's what that east gate speaks to prophetically. The inspection gate. Practically, it's the gate where the king at the time would inspect his troops. Jesus is the king of kings. So personally, it speaks to the examination of our lives by the Lord through the Holy Spirit and through the word of God, last week's message. Prophetically, it speaks to the ultimate inspection of the Lord upon the nations of this entire world. He will have the last word. So, you got the horse gate, you've got the east gate, and you've got the inspection gate to round this out. Paul speaks, I want to bounce over to the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Again, these verses uh, will be on the screen as well. Paul says this in one of his closing remarks in uh, 2 Timothy 4, 6, he says, Timothy, my life has been poured out as an offering to God, and the time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. These last little bit of time that we have today, I want to concentrate on those three statements that Paul made. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the the race, and I have kept the faith. 
the finishing point is the finishing point of this whole story in this section because our lives need to be prepared. Our lives need to be equipped. We need to be able to handle, to endure, and deal with life now so that we can finish this race that we're in later. And the finishing point would be ultimately to meet Jesus. He said in John 15, Jesus said, hey, I go to prepare a place for you, something we typically say at funerals. But he goes to prepare a place for those who are prepared. I heard a preacher say that recently. He prepares a place for a prepared people. The prepared ones will enter the prepared place. And Paul, last words to Timothy is, hey, I want you to do something. You've looked at my life, and I want you to see what, how the Lord has helped me, and this is how he, needs, he will help you. You need to fight the good fight. You need to finish the race you're in, and you need to keep this faith. So if the horse gate speaks to spiritual warfare, as believers, we're, we, we understand that, and we're going to look at that. And Paul admonishes us, hey, make sure you fight the good fight. Because of the fight you're in. What fight is that? What good fight is that? Uh, Ephesians 6, I think, gives great clarity to the type of fight believers are in. Let's look at that in Ephesians 6, verse 12. Paul says, hey, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. He goes on to say, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. After battling, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, put on the belt of truth, the body armor of righteousness. For shoes put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully equipped. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And then I didn't add this verse to the screen, but it says, And pray for me to ask God to give me the right words. So that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan of the good news he has. So, we have to remember who we're fighting. Paul says, fight the good fight. We have to remember that we are in, as a believer, we enter in. And we have a responsibility to educate ourselves with the word of God. To build up our spirit so that we can become stronger in faith. So that we can withstand and stand and stand and stand. And continue to stand. And the way we continue to stand is with what he's given us to stand with. But first we've got to remember who we're fighting. Remember we're fighting an enemy that we cannot see with our physical eyes. We need to understand our fight is supernatural in existence. And that the enemy doesn't want to see the God in you succeed or gain ground in your heart. Because he knows the God in you as he grows in you and gains more 
uh, space in your life and grows in faith in you that more people around you and people after you will actually do the same. And so he'll do anything he can to try to take you down and to try to discourage you or to get you down. He's called the father of lies. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He's called all of these different things because he knows he has really nothing in which to use. But he uses stories against us. He lies against us. He sows seeds of discord. He tries to put division in the body of Christ and in relationships. He tries to whisper lies to us, get us to believe things that aren't really real. All these different things that he can do to try to get us down. And we have to remember that we don't have to take it. That we don't, he tries to uh, make fear grow. He'll use anything he can to get fear to get big in our life. Because he knows if we get fearful, we'll soon be really isolated. And the more isolated we become, the gospel will not be able to spread. If there's anything that's supposed to spread like wildfire, it is the love of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. And the enemy knows what to use, what tactics to use. It says he's clever in his thing and Exactly. So we need to remember that if we're going to fight this good fight, remember who we're fighting. And then secondly, remember how to fight. He gives us this body armor. And with the body armor, he also provides us these spiritual weapons. Church, what good is to have body armor and spiritual weapons if we don't acclimate them and don't use them and don't know how to get better at using them? That I would dare say we should, over the years of walking with the Lord, we should become wiser in how to wield the sword of the Spirit. That it should not just be something that we go to in crisis, but it should also be something we use when everything seems to be going smooth. And it should also be the thing we we know how to wield and how how to utilize in our daily life. You know, the Bible is never intended to try to cut somebody down and to tell everybody, hey, you stink, you need to get your life right. You're going to hell. The Bible was supposed to be used as a way to point people to Christ, not cut people down. So we have to understand how to use faith over fear. Because the last time I checked, there's not one person on this planet who has all of the answers. But as the body of Christ, he tells us if we pray, we can gain wisdom. So we have to know and remember how to fight. And also we have to remember Above all, just keep fighting. Just keep fighting. He ends this part of his uh, portion there in Ephesians. He said, hey, remember, pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers. Especially pray for one another, and don't forget to pray for me. So he really emphasizes, hey, prayer is the energy that will move you to action. Prayer is the thing, the entity, that will sustain you through the activity of warfare. How do you refill your tank? You pray. You spend time with God. You go to the source who can give you what you need. Above all, remember, just keep fighting. Therefore, just keep praying. Don't stop praying the east gate that speak to anybody does that help you out i just i I felt like i needed to 
I'll keep that for a moment. The East Gate. The East Gate is about the hope and the longing for the return of Christ. Paul, Paul tells us there in Timothy, hey, finish this race. Don't stop running. Don't stop moving forward. He says this in, in verse 8 of 2 Timothy 4. Timothy, there's a prize that awaits me. It's the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. The prize is not just for me, but it is for everyone who eagerly looks forward to his appearing. We have 100% certainty from the word of God that Jesus will come back, that he will return. 100% certainty. If you're taking notes or you're not, but I would encourage you to write these things down. Here's a few certain scriptures you can bank on that on his return. Zechariah 14.4. Matthew 24. Particularly the latter part of that chapter. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 14 through 18, particularly talks about what would happen if you're here and Jesus comes back, what it'll look like. Revelation chapter 1, obviously Revelation, chapter 1, verse 4 through 7. Also chapter 22, the last chapter, verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20. I'll say them all again. Zechariah 14, 4. Matthew 24, particularly the latter part. Acts 1, verse 9 through 12. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14 through 18. Revelation 1, verse 4 through 7. Chapter 22, verse 7, 12, and 20. Here's the thing. We may have 100% certainty, and we do have 100% certainty that Jesus is going to return. What we don't have certainty on is when exactly he will come back. So, Paul's saying, hey, the east gate, looking out, his return will happen. You just don't know when. Paul exhorting us in the New Testament, finish the race you're in. Don't stop what you're doing. Don't stop running the race you're in. And since we don't know exactly when he will come, what should we do? We must live hopeful. We must live hopeful ready. We must live expectant. And we must live like Jesus is coming back today, but be prepared for another thousand years. Church, if we could just get ourselves to think this way and live this way and, and have our life set up this way, then when Jesus comes, because we don't know when, but if he comes while you're still here, may he find us doing the everyday things he's called us to do. May we continue to live in faith. May we continue to have the example that Jesus gave us to not run from terror, but to be a people of faith that can stand in the midst of it. The church, 
May we live hopeful. May we live ready. May we live expectant. May we live like he's coming back today, but prepare for another thousand years. Why? Because when he comes, may he not find us in some nonsense part of life where we have just been wasting away in Margaritaville. You get it? Meaning, let's not give our life to anything at any time that is not good for our eternal souls. The inspection gate. The inspection gate is about the examination that the Lord does on his believers, on his people, through the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, and ultimately one day, the final. Paul says, hey, not only fight the good fight, finish the race, but keep the faith you're in. Don't, don't lose out. Keep the faith. People who keep the faith live humble. People who keep the faith live authentic. People who keep the faith live transparent. People who keep the faith live surrendered to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul, I think, is getting at. Hey, in keeping the faith, in keeping this faith, you're living humble, you're living authentic, you're living transparent, you're living a life that is surrendered to Jesus Christ. We get not a life of perfection, not a life of legalism, not a life of religion, but a life of relationship that has with it the ups and downs, the scrapes and bruises, the ins and outs, the questions and the answers, the topsy and the turvy, the chaos and the peace times. All of that happens in real life. And Paul says, through it all, keep the faith. Keep the faith. Don't abandon. Don't run. Don't jump ship. Don't tank now. Don't hide now. Don't get scared now. But keep the faith. And I think one of the biggest ways that Jesus left us and how we can keep the faith is to examine our life before him. He gives us time now to do so, to get it right, and to keep it right on this side of eternity, so to speak. And I'm grateful for that. That's his grace, and that's his mercy. And I just want to encourage you today as we prepare to close out, is this. Is Paul's, or are Paul's words, fight the good fight? You've got it in you, church. You've got it in you, Christian. You've got it in you, mom. You've got it in you, dad. You've got it down inside of you if you're born again. The Bible says that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you. There is a fighter in you. There is an overcomer on the inside of you. There is a more than conqueror on the inside of you. That doesn't, that doesn't mean we can be dumb and stupid and naive and misinformed. It just means that through it all, we're not going to live in fear and panic and let our lives be ruled by anxiety because, church, this will not be the only time that something tries to spread across this land to take anybody out or that the media uses to hype up fear or anything like that. It will not be the first time or the last time. It has happened before. And I just, I don't like that it happens. But we also don't have to watch everything either. We also don't have to watch it all. If you watch it and you get scared and fearful, then man, maybe you should turn it off. 
I'm not talking about be dumb and not informed. Get me, I'm not that. But what I am saying is if there's some things that make you scared and fearful, then you need to maybe silence that voice for a while and go to get that still small voice amplified in your heart again. I'm not saying we use, we're, we're, we're crazy and we go and like, hey, cough in my face. And, you know, that's stupid. But you get what I'm saying. There is a fighter in you. And church, we, if there's any time that we need to pray that the, the spirit of Christ rise up on the inside of us, it's now. And I get there are, there are parameters and there are boundaries and there are things that, that we need to understand and look at and be respectful of. But at the same time, the church is not a building. The church is people. And you cannot control faith inside of a person. You cannot, no matter what happens, that cannot be controlled. We have to guard that. We have to keep that. That's why we have to fight the good fight. Amen? So it's in you. That spirit is in you. That spirit is in you to not, to not, uh, to not um, you know, not keep going. Finish the race. There's a, there's a measure of endurance on the inside of you. There's a measure of perseverance on the inside of you. There's, there's a push that happens from God's spirit on the inside of you that can move you and, and, and help you continue on in praying and building your faith and being the kind of person and a believer that you need to be in this day and time. But we got to also know where we are. We got to know where we are. Where do I stand today? Where am I at at this moment in time in my faith with the Lord? Am I right with God? Do I believe I'm in right standing with the Lord? Do I believe that wholeheartedly I'm born again? I am saved. I have his spirit filling my life. And that's what moments like the communion table represent. It causes us, Jesus' his final act of worship that he left with his disciples as an example to us as what's called a sacred act of worship. It causes us to evaluate and examine ourselves. And that's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11. Look at these verses. Verse 23, he says, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me as you eat it. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed by his blood. He said, do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. In verse 28, that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread 
and drinking the cup. That is what part of what Jesus intended as believers moving ahead in the centuries to come into today. That anytime we come to this table, it reminds us of the body and the blood of Christ. His body that was broken and his blood that was poured out for our forgiveness and our wholeness. And that's why we don't approach this as just some thing, but we approach it with sincerity and authenticity to say, Lord, wherever I've erred, wherever I've fallen short, wherever I have not lived up, today I ask that you would forgive me. I ask, Lord, that you would heal me in my heart. I ask God that you would heal the relationships that I'm a part of, maybe where my attitude or my actions have caused harm. I just ask that you would do a work in me, Lord, as I come to take and partake of you.